0: Hello, it's Thursday, 4th of November. I'm Gary Bowelman. Happy Deepavali to everyone who is celebrating around the world and welcome to the first edition of our new weekly news and current affairs show. So, let's get ready for takeoff. This is the SEA Travel News Show. Hello wherever you are in the world and thanks for listening in. So as events and of course travel speculation start to gather momentum in the region, we're launching a new weekly show featuring news, updates and mini interviews to keep you up to speed with the happenings here in Southeast Asia. From next week, the SEA Travel News Show will air each Friday through November and then we'll return after the New Year break in January 2022. To kickstart the show, I've got two special guests dialing in later, but firstly, let's take a look at this week's three biggest talking points in the region. So, last Monday, the 1st of November, signaled the start of two travel reopenings in pivotal markets for Southeast Asia, those being Thailand and Australia. Thailand is certainly the biggest tourism story in Southeast Asia since the borders were closed due to COVID-19 back in March 2020. Thailand's new test and go scheme enables vaccinated visitors from 63 countries and territories to visit without undergoing a quarantine. There are several bureaucratic and administrative stipulations, however, under the new Thailand Pass QR code system, and all arrivals must pre-book and pay for one night in a quarantine hotel while awaiting the results of their on-arrival PCR test. There is some speculation that Thailand has presented this as quarantine-free when that's not this 100% true, but I think it's fair enough to say that this system is as close as it gets under current stipulations in Southeast Asia to quarantine free, apart, of course, from Singapore's vaccinated travel lanes. This, we must remember, is an inbound system. It's trying to draw back tourists for the, the peak season that's upcoming. The idea of actually having the PCR test results in a hotel where you stay one night probably get your results within around about 21 hours, is to keep people away out of the airport. Once you arrive, you go to the hotel, you've had your test, and it prevents a backlog in the airport. So I think that actually is is quite a good idea. In addition to the test and go system, 17 regions across the country are opening up under the seven-day blue zone sandbox scheme. So you must pre-book seven days in, in your chosen hotel. And there's also a 10-day hard quarantine, which is still in place, for non-vaccinated visitors. And of course, it wouldn't be Thailand without a bold visitor forecast. And the latest is that 726,000 air passengers are predicted to fly on domestic and international flights in November. Rather precisely, 270,529 of those will be on inbound and outbound flights. That's the current prediction. Speaking this week to travel media at the World Travel Market Show, In London, the governor of the Tourism Authority of Thailand estimated that this year's various different entry schemes, including the Phuket Sandbox, are likely to bring around 700,000 visitors to Thailand across the calendar year 2021. So let's move on to Bali, which this week reduced its quarantine requirement from five days and before that eight days down to three days for fully vaccinated international travelers to Bali. Visitors who have received one dose of a recognized vaccine, not two, must quarantine for five days. COVID testing on arrival will apply to all visitors. Bali reopened to international visitors from 19 countries, you may remember, on the 14th of October, but it has struggled so far to confirm international flights and it will be hoping that reducing the quarantine requirement down to three days will encourage airlines to fill those slots. In addition, Indonesian media have been reporting that the country is proposing a Singapore-style vaccinated travel lane with Australia. Let's see what happens with that one. Talking of which, Singaporean and Australian media reported at the weekend that fully vaccinated Singaporean tourists, workers and students Will be allowed to enter the Australian states of New South Wales and Victoria quarantine-free from the 21st of November. Outbound Australian travellers will be able to enter Singapore from next Monday the 8th of November so as we sit here in the first month of November with just two months left of 2021, it's pretty clear that some countries in Southeast Asia are scrambling hard to restore a degree of travel and tourism activity for the upcoming peak season, from December through Christmas and New Year to February. The region's travel landscape is still a patchwork in its very earliest stages of formation, and there certainly hasn't been as much progress and perhaps as much government to private sector engagement as many people in the travel industry would actually have liked. So where we are right now with two months to go until the end of 2021, was this unfolding situation something that we could foresee? To some degree it was. Hannah and I produced an episode of the Southeast Asia Travel Show on the 9th of September entitled, Did August Mark the Start of ASEAN's Travel Turnaround? in which we posited that history might record that August 2021 was the month when travel returned to government agendas, and they really started putting their heads together and trying to work out how to at least partially reopen their borders before the end of the year. I'll put a link to that show in today's show notes, as it's well worth a refresher listen. So what happens next? Well, as always on the Southeast Asia Travel Show, we like to take a few steps back before we assess what's up ahead. Now, as you've been hearing quite a lot from me in recent weeks, since Hannah began her three month sabbatical from the show, I thought it'd be quite fun to give her a call and ask her views on four key questions that really determine what might happen between now and the end of the year. Good news is, she agreed. So Hannah is back just for today. So first up, I asked Hannah, looking back through October, could we see a pattern emerging that reopenings on the cards.
1: It's quite interesting because in October we really saw like this domino effect of countries announcing their reopening. Um, So Thailand and Singapore really got the ball rolling. Singapore announcing those 11 vaccinated travel lanes and then Thailand announcing that it was planning to reopen to many countries um, without quarantine from the 1st of November. You can see the other Southeast Asian countries starting to scramble around, right, looking Um, for reopening strategies and suddenly announcing. So we've had Malaysia announce the Langkawi one from November the 15th. Vietnam was firming up its Fou Quoc. Um, You had Cambodia jump in on the action and announce the Sihanouk sandbox as well. So there's not really a, a pattern in that. I think everybody has just been holding out for so long throughout the whole of 2021 and almost kind of waiting for someone to take the plunge, waiting for someone to really declare that they're going to reopen and once they've done that it really lit a fire underneath them and they really realized that they have to reopen and they have to announce their reopening plans as soon as possible to be able to really capture that year-end market whether they will actually manage to is of course another question because you know as as we have said Gary long-haul travelers which are the ones who are the real main target market for most of these reopening schemes tend to book a little bit further in advance. And they may have already made their plans for November and December. It may well be too late to really capitalise on the reopening for the year-end holidays.
0: Yeah, hard to disagree with any of that that Hannah's said there. Um, She's been pretty comprehensive in looking back at where we were and where we're going to. So the second question I asked is, has Thailand set a new standard for reopening that other countries will now have to try and follow? Or are some countries still really at the sandbox
1: stage? It's funny, isn't it, because I feel like we have been talking about the Phuket sandbox for, I don't know, for years. I mean, it's probably been only the best part of of six months or so. But really, that has been the standard that everybody in Southeast Asia has been looking at, with the exception of Singapore. So nearly all the countries who are thinking of reopening are all looking at reopening islands. So we have Bali, you have um, Langkawi, Phukwokk. Everything is mainly island based and everybody tends to refer to the Phuket sandbox, so even Cambodia's latest edition, the Sihanoukville one, um, was also referring to it as a kind of sandbox. Um, now what is interesting is that last week the tourism minister for Thailand actually came out and said that the Phuket sandbox, if it were a test, failed to create a successful reopening and that the model needs to learn from its mistakes. So. For me, it's kind of interesting that you still have countries like Cambodia, who are still planning to to work on a kind of Phuket sandbox style reopening. Malaysia for Langkawi, um, they clearly have not learned from Thailand's mistakes, um, which they really need to do at this critical point. So on 1st of November, Thailand reopened with about six thousand six hundred people arriving. Now, you compare that to the Phuket sandbox that generated. About 38,700 visitors since its launch, and you know that that went on for a good few months. So you can really see, you know, 6,600 versus 38,700. It's going to catch up pretty fast if they had that many numbers on the first day of arrival. Um, so I think it is a new standard for reopening. Essentially, the country is open, you know, without quarantine completely if you're coming from. One of the 63 countries if you're not from those 63 countries you can still embark on the phuket sandbox so you can still enter the country and if you are not vaccinated you can still enter but okay you do have to quarantine um so essentially it is reopened like i said it it, it will be interesting now to see how for one how successful that is there are still you know lots of paperwork that they have to um complete it's not as simple as just arrive in Thailand, and there you go, you've still got testing, you've still got the the Thailand pass that you have to apply for, which has replaced the certificate of entry. So there are still quite a few hoops that travellers are going to have to jump through. And you know, of course, we have seen that international travellers in general prefer um, those schemes that are very easy, that are very straightforward, um, which makes sense.
0: Yep, interesting views there. Uh, Thailand probably has set some kind of standard here. It's certainly pushing the envelope. Um, We did expect to see some sort of domino situation where others would fall into place, but it does look as though some countries are really relying on the more cautious approach of the sandbox, particularly for their their initial beginnings, but that may change. So third up, I asked Hannah about vaccinated travel lanes, the Singapore-style way of reopening. Are they viable from here, or are they simply too limited unless the daily visitor caps are removed?
1: Um, So, I mean, Singapore has now announced, what I think, 13 vaccinated travel lanes, so lots of European countries, the US, Australia, though Australia is perhaps more exciting because now it's a reciprocal one. Um, But when you look at this now compared to Thailand's reopening, reopening to everybody, you know, it really does seem very limited. Um, and the government have imposed these quotas, so they've increased that now to 4,000 packs are allowed to arrive daily on the vaccinated travel lanes. But that's going to carry on restricting Changi's status really as a transit hub, um, as, as an international travel destination. Um, we, we've seen that with the Philippines where you have um, destinations like Manila who also have this daily cap on arrivals. And that really does reduce the number of people who can arrive. You know, they have said that it is more important that the reopening borders is done well rather than fast. You've now got this kind of competition set up. It's a bit like the tortoise and the hare. So right now, Thailand is the hare. Right now, Singapore is the tortoise. Who's going to win? Which approach is going to win? Is it throwing open the borders to everyone or is it going to be this very selective, careful, calibrated? Singapore loves the word calibrated um, reopening.
0: And finally, I asked Hannah the $1 million question. What happens next for tourism in Southeast Asia in November? Are there any predictions on what might lie up ahead?
1: It's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen in November at this point. So like I said earlier, we have lots of travel corridors and lanes and sandboxes and what else that are slated to reopen in November. So we've got Malaysia, we have Cambodia, we have Vietnam. Uh, the possibility that Indonesia may actually get flights arriving into Bali. Um so I can see that all of those would happen unless something really drastic happens in terms of Covid numbers in the country. I think that they will reopen. But I think now, you know, so many countries in Southeast Asia are talking about reopening, that. The question of reopening is, that's not really the big question anymore. That's not really the big issue, because I think countries have realized that they have to reopen. Instead, um, they really have to look at three factors, um, and these are going to be what determine the success. Um, so it's how much are they planning to open up the country, and of course, you know, the country that reopens in its entirety is going to win that. Um, which nationalities is it going to be open to, are they going to open to everybody? Uh, or just selected um, countries like Singapore. Of course, again, the country that reopens to the most people, you know, is it, more likely to be successful in terms of a tourism revival. Um, and the last question is really, how easy are you going to make it to visit? And this is the key one. Like I said earlier, the more hoops that international travelers have to jump through, the harder it's going to be, um, the less likely international travellers are going to come. Um, so countries really need to up their game when it comes to this last question, You know, in terms of direct flights, in terms of allowing visas on arrival, little paperwork, reducing the number of tests or reducing the cost of tests or booking the tests, no quarantine. Those are the next questions that I think countries are going to be focusing on in November.
0: Travel industry exhibitions, trade shows, and events have transitioned online to varying degrees of success over the past 20 months. But this week saw the return of one of the world's biggest and most popular travel trade shows. The annual World Travel Market, or WTM, took place in London for the first time since 2019. Unfortunately, I couldn't get to the show this year. It's a great shame, as it is a show that I always try to attend each year. But instead, I spoke by phone with Nick Ray, non pem based founder of Hanuman Films and a long-time Lonely Planet guidebook writer who was in town for this year's WTM. I began by asking Nick his impressions about the atmosphere at this year's show and how the Asian presence compared to pre-pandemic editions of WTM.
2: But it's certainly a lot smaller than uh, previous years, I would say. Asia is fitting into fewer than three roads. So, if you think of, you know, they sort of divide the hall into these these rows, and basically you've only got four representatives from Southeast Asia, namely Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, and the Philippines. No Singapore, no Cambodia, no Vietnam, no Laos, etc. And then you've got a mix of India, you know, Japan, a few others, but China has no presence either, which is is a fairly big absence as well. So yeah, Asia is basically discounting the Middle East, which is a whole separate area with four or five rows. The whole of Asia, the rest of Asia is smaller than the Middle East section.
0: And what about access to the show? Did you need to be vaccinated to attend this year's WTM?
2: Yes, so you have to show either proof of full vaccination or A negative lateral flow test result logged on the NHS um, website or um, proof that you've had COVID in the previous six months so some natural immunity so that then they give you a band uh, which color changes each day so we got an orange band yesterday today we've got a silver band
0: Next up, I asked Nick about the overall attendance and what was the level of travel trade activity at WTM in
2: 2021? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been quite busy, I think, I'd say, you know, even though the the, uh, exhibitors are smaller in number and uh, less exhibition space overall, with part of the halls closed down or closed off. But um, in terms of actual numbers of people coming, uh, attendees, yeah, it's pretty large, actually, I'd say that that's, uh, you know, it's probably, it's probably at least half of what it normally is maybe even slightly more so yeah it's it's good attendance so far
0: and in terms of southeast asian tourism board pavilions what was happening what what were they presenting and who was there
2: yeah it's been pretty quiet I mean basically they you know they're more they're, they're, even the existing stands that have come four countries they're much smaller than perhaps usual I'd say so they' they're perhaps the equivalent of just uh, you know the, this sort of nine square meter three by three stands there may be three of those connected together so sort of 27 to 30 square meters so Thailand's got you know subdivided into perhaps 12 um, small exhibitors from you know hotels and representation companies same for Indonesia. Uh, Malaysia is mainly there with Malaysian Airlines and there's a small Sarawak stand uh, next to it. And then, yes, you've got the the Philippines. So I'd say the stands themselves are probably uh, less than half the usual size. So there hasn't been a, a huge amount going on. Uh, the Philippines have got a couple of people in traditional costumes, which sort of you know draws some, a crowd to sort of take pictures and so on. But, um, you know, the kind of more regular entertainment that you normally associate with Southeast Asian uh, pavilions has been notably absent so far, I would say.
0: And as for Nick himself, what was he doing? Uh, for me, it's just really a chance to
2: sort of, uh, you know, sort of reconnect, uh, meet with different uh, players from around the region and beyond. But obviously, yeah, it's been uh, perhaps harder than originally expected, given the, the lack of exhibitors. So yes, it's good, you know, I can connect with colleagues. Uh, for example, from Lonely Planet, met some fellow writers uh, yesterday. Uh, people from tour operators, companies like Audley Travel, Bamboo Travel, and so on, and uh, and other journalists. So there's you know a variety of uh, travel media here. So met uh, uh, BBC people today, and so on. So it's just it's just really a chance to sort of touch base with people and sort of uh, try and uh, hammer home the message that Southeast Asia is on its way back. Um, it's just a little bit slow compared to everyone else. I think that's what's really been stark for me yesterday and today is it just brings into sharp focus that Southeast Asia needs to move faster. It's just as simple as that. You know, there's no other way of putting it. Um, they really need to simplify their reopening procedures across the board and uh, remove quarantines and you know remove regulations because the rest of the world is doing that very fast.
0: And finally, as we are immersed in what's happening in this region, I asked him what perceptions were among global delegates at WTM this year. Are they picking up on what's happening here in Southeast Asia, and what are their perceptions about how things are starting to reopen and what the outlook might be?
2: Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I think they, obviously, the people that, that, especially, you know, the kind of companies that do know the region well and sell Southeast Asia, they know things are moving, but there's a lot of confusion because, of course, the messages aren't very clear, you know. It's like in some cases, like Thailand, it's that the, it's open to 60 countries, but there is actually still a one-night quarantine, which is probably manageable for most. But then, of course, you know, who's on that list and so on? Um, and then countries like Cambodia, are you eligible for the two-night quarantine or are you eligible for the six-night? You know, so each country's got its, its own uh, sort of vagaries and foibles. And I think what people really want in the travel industry, and, of course, Customers, you know, consumers, the travelers, they just want clarity and, and simplicity. And so, I mean, the most simple way to be open is to be fully open.
0: Thanks very much to Nick and to Hannah for joining me on the first edition of the SEA Travel News Show. And thanks also to Ruth Franklin, co-founder of Secret Paradise Maldives, who joined me earlier this week for a special Maldives edition of our Destination 2022 series of podcasts, looking at potential hot ticket destinations for Southeast Asian travelers next year. The Maldives podcast was perfectly timed as last Friday, the Maldives welcomed its one millionth visitor of 2021, a hugely impressive achievement. And it's now focused on getting as close as possible to its stretch target of 1.5 million visitors throughout 2021. You can find the podcast on our website, www.theseasiatravelshow.com and on all the usual podcast platforms. Please take time to listen to Ruth's brilliant insights as tourism boards across the region have closely scrutinized the Maldives reopening strategy, which stretches back to July last year and how the Maldives has pretty successfully rebuilt their tourism industry without the important Chinese inbound market. So I'll leave you with one of my favourite quotes from the podcast throughout 2021. I asked Ruth whether, given the challenges of the past 20 months, she was feeling positive about 2022. Here's her reply. See you next week.
2: For sure. Definitely optimistic. If we look at the bookings that I've taken um, in October, they're 60% up on bookings that we would have received in October 2019. And some of those bookings are requests not only for the festive period and high season, but right through to the end of July 2022. So certainly, as you say, with key markets now reopening to international travel, um, I'm very optimistic and positive for uh, the next six to 12 months